Oh, I got his ass now. My bottle got stretched a little bit. You have to be fast in the track. I'm, a, I'm about to light this shit up. Show 53 with Pete Delewski. Fans are fucking pumped. Oh, shit. Oh. You're on. Sorry, how do you unmute? What'd you say? I said we're back again. This is the same voice. <laughs> you, you like to say we're back, eh? Where do we go? We leave for a week. You don't feel like we disappear for a week and then we come back for a show? I feel like we leave every time. I don't think so. Like you say often we're back, but we're like from what? Where do we go? We just did a show. I feel like my life is lived very short periods at a time. This feels like a long time ago that we did the last show. Like I said, Pete Delewski, he's uh, involved with uh, the, the company Connor and Joris Ride for. I can't remember the name of it. Um, and a bunch <laughs> of other stuff. <laughs> BMX Live TV, bunch of crap. It's be fun to talk to Pete D. Double A Pete. He used to be a, an agent in BMX, getting all the big money deals for the top pros. This is a, I think there's a lot of information that people don't know about Pete. A lot of things people don't know, don't know about him. I, I know for a fact there's a lot of things I don't know about him when it comes to like, yeah, knowing that he was an agent back then. I didn't know that until you told me. Um, with some of the companies he works for. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, it's going to be an interesting podcast. Are you shitting me? Yeah, I think so. Thanks to ProGate Europe. Winning starts the great gate. Um, who's got a great gate? Uh, Connor, or, uh, Pete sponsors Connor, who has a great gate. Connor's had a few good gates on uh, some ProGate Europe soon he's won some World Cups. He has had some heaters. He really has, eh? He has. Uh, speaking of Connor, I was going to ask one of the intro, one of the things to talk about is what have you been doing during this uh, quarantine to just stay busy when you're at home? My thing has just been watching YouTube videos. Thankfully, people like Connor and like Kim and Bros and like I don't know, like Jeremy Smith, and they put out all these YouTube videos. They're pretty entertaining lately. I've turned into a big YouTube guy. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos lately. They're honestly, they're just so easy and like casual yep. to watch, but they keep you so entertained. I like long ones too. I could just watch like a TV show. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Some of them are like a TV show. I know. I like it because fuck, there's nothing on TV right now at all. No, honestly, you just got to watch reruns and hopefully you have a new Netflix show to watch. <laughs> I know, but so I like watching a lot of YouTube videos. I just like, you know, especially if they're an hour or something, I just sit back and watch it like a TV show. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said, so my, I wrote down for the social media check-in, the Sylvan social media check-in today was uh, the Kim and Bros. They had the BMX trivia going on. So you haven't seen it yet, have you? No, I didn't watch it. How was it? It's pretty good, actually. They had some, uh, I'll say some really tricky questions in there. But I'm, I must say, some I don't know where they get some of these uh, these stats from. Like, I don't know where you'd even look to find some of the stats from, like, world championships way back in the day. What are the stats? What are, the, what are the questions like? Um, oh, it's hard to remember. I watched it when it came out, which is a while ago now. Uh, but they're talking, like, okay, how many uh, world titles does, like, somebody have in total in their elite career? So, like, one of them was, like, how many world titles or how many podiums does, how many podiums does Sylvan have? Oh, that's cool. In elite. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Kind of makes you think though, because like, has he had a time trial one back in the day? Like there's, there's different ones in there. And it's, about. it's hard now because it's, you can't compare eras either because it's not that they were comparing eras, I guess, but it's skewed because there's two a day. There's two a weekend now. So there's double the amount of world cups there used to be. Yeah. If you're looking at that part, definitely. Yeah. Cause there used to be, so. you know, just four or whatever per year. Now there's eight. So it's kind of like you can't compare eras cause now it's going to be inflated. So if you win now, like mm-hmm. we said, it's, it's half a win. It's 0.5. <laughs> Your counting is a 0.5. You need two podiums for one podium now. Like two podiums is considered one podium now. 
doesn't count. And your over and your overall career stats, yeah. Yeah, it, overall career stats, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that's so, is there any benefit during this time to try another sport to stay mentally sharp? What do you think? I was thinking about this. So, you were talking about uh, a couple golf golf tournaments coming up in the near, in the future here, and I was I was thinking about it's like, is there benefit to trying something like this to just stay mentally sharp in a competition competition atmosphere? And that's, I thought I think there is. That's fu- that's funny actually. It's a good. I've never. I didn't even think of that. Well, these are two very different sports we're talking about. If we're talking about golf and BMX racing, the the aspect of staying focused on your task through a competition through a long grueling day, I mean, it's still there. And is is there benefit to it? I think there could be. I think a hundred percent. Like if you have a hobby like that and you can do it, why not? I mean, you kind of feed that competitive um, aspect in yourself. It keeps you busy and your mind occupied. You get a good feeling of satisfaction and why not? Right. That's what I was thinking. It seems like in this time when we got nothing to do, we got no competitions planned for yet in the near future. Like why not find a way to keep your mind sharp with another task like this, another competition. It's a really good idea. No matter what the sport or activity, the mental part is the mental part. It's the same shit. It doesn't make a difference what sport it is. So you're still exercising your brain in that way. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was something interesting. And I think if, if I go ahead and join you in this tournament, I think that would be really like, that would be a partly a reason why I want to do it. My games, the last like 10 days my game has been shaky. It's been all over the map. Like, I'll have a good round of golf and the next day, like today I played like shit. It's so funny how you'll have like a few holes where it's just routine holes, just easy saves, pars, birdies, whatever. And then a couple just blow up ones. Dude, I don't get it. Although now if I have like, if I get in a bunch of blow up roll, a bunch of blow up holes in a row and the round is just coming unraveled, I, I can still reel it in and just bang out a bunch of pars now, which is cool. That is solid. But fuck man, it's so frustrating. (laughs) <laughs> such a tricky sport it's so weird like it's the equivalent to going to a race and just like you just can't gate for whatever reason it just doesn't work and you're like okay literally just go in the gate and fucking move forward <laughs> literally, that, that's all we're trying to do here and then you you, you cheese the start you're like wow in your head you're like wow good one idiot you're like you fucking job. suck <laughs> <laughs> how is it that we can do that sometimes we can train for a sport for so long we can feel like we're so calculated we're so precise we know exactly what we're doing and then let's say not even a week later you show up to the track to do a gate and it's just you have no clue what you're doing out it's there it's so weird and you, like literally everyone that happens to everyone because i was training with sam before and the same thing happened to him i remember one time or two like long time ago he just couldn't get a start like on a tuesday night mm-hmm. he was pissed but then i'm sure he came back the next session and got a pb so it's like I don't know. It's really strange. Like you can do it so easily. You could literally go in the gate without a warm up, right out of bed and probably get a half decent start. It's just so ingrained in all of us. And then there's races or for whatever reason, it's just not working. No, you feel like you go to snap and your wheel just goes straight out. The body does not move forward. It's like, it's not that difficult. And you're so, at a, yeah, I know it's like, and you got, you're still trying, you're still focusing, you're still trying and it's just, it's just not happening. It takes a really good athlete to, to, even if they're not getting a good great gates to either get it back on track or just make it work from make it work another way. Like those are the the best riders. So any, any fast guy can Mm -hmm. do well at a race when everything's flowing. That's easy, but it it takes a really good rider an exceptional rider to still get on the podium when they're off. Cause that's tough. Mm -hmm. That's really tough, especially at a world cup. Oh yeah. When it's cutthroat and there are enough fast guys where if you slip up one bit, you're done. Yeah. It's tough. So the best riders can get it done from anywhere. 
I always think that's mm-hmm. impressive when people can do that. I mean, like I said, anybody, any top guy, not any top guy, I should say, like anybody really fast, if they're hot and things are going well, can get on the podium. But, you know, it takes it takes an exceptional athlete to do it when things aren't. Well, in saying that, though, I think you're one of those people that were able to do that. Oh, no, I know. Thanks, man. Think, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but no, seriously, I think you had, you were a good racer. No matter if you were having a good start or bad start, you were always kind of one of those guys that was always in there. Yeah, and I think I learned that. I, that was ingrained in me from a young age because when I played hockey mm-hmm. when I was younger, my dad would always be like, one shift at a time, whatever. If you get, have a bad shift, just come back the next, next shift better. Don't let it affect you. And so I just did that and always in BMX. No matter how shitty my laps were, if I was getting through it, it kind of just didn't matter. You start fresh every time. So by the exactly, time you get yeah. to the by the time you get to the main, it doesn't matter if you've just just like barely skated by in fourths all day. If you won your laps, you just you start in the same gate. You're all starting at level playing field at that yeah, point, right? You literally just yeah. need once, and I've, I did that yeah. so many times. I, yeah, it's 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 not an easy thing to do by any means, but um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think the best athletes can do that in any sport. I totally agree. Yeah, I think. I personally, because I know I've, I've known you for being somebody that's so good at it. I've, I've, I've used you as an example in my head a few times, like Papandal last year. I swear to God, I forgot how to do a gate. I could not leave at the time when I was equal with people or I didn't hit the gate. It was either I hit the gate or I was way the fuck behind. Oh yeah. And I remember, I remember I was just like, okay, it doesn't matter. Just start from behind and just, I was like, do the Tory. Just go to the inside. Just work your way there, up there. Yeah. And it just, just keep trying. Like all you can do is yeah. keep trying. But yeah. a lot of people, if they think if they're not getting a good start, it's over. But there's always a way through. You just have to find it. Just battle. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes you can just battle. There's always, a way, there's always a way through. You just have to find it. Yeah. Some of the top guys aren't the fastest starters. You got to remember that. Yeah. And look, Sam was an awesome starter, an outstanding guy in the first straight. But he made it through a lot of rounds like uh, where he have hit the gate or get cut off or whatever. He came from behind a lot in knockout rounds and still made it through. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cool when you see riders like Sam or I've seen George Stewart, or even Connor as well. Riders like you're so familiar with seeing up front that you kind of forget that they're actually great racers at the same time. Yep. So you, you won't expect them if they get a bad gate or a bad start to ever work their way from. You're like, oh, they're done. They're just they're the guys normally up front. And then you catch them in that race where they, they're in a situation where they need to qualify. They get a bad start. And they do work their way up to the front. You're like, God damn, okay, like that's why they're one of the best in the world. It's not just because of their starts. I think that's more impressive. Like to to do it when you're used to seeing them up front? Like to to see someone come through like that and recover from a bad start or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, especially, especially when it's like it's they're not used to being in that position, right? Yeah. And if you if you know you can do that, it kind of takes pressure off the start because you know, if you get out, you can hold shot. And if not, you can still get through. So it kind of takes pressure off the start. If all you got is a start, I mean, it's great, uh-huh. but if you ever get into trouble, you're fucked. That's kind of like, I think of Sylvan when you, when you say that, like being relaxed because you know, you can do it either way. Yeah, exactly. can have great starts and hold shot, or it could be cut off and, but he still comes back in that first turn around the rest of the track. So either be like that or be like Liam where you're just a machine and you just rip them off and win. I mean, <laughs> you just clockwork. Yeah. Just you hold shot <laughs> every race clockwork. Yeah, see you later. You have to either have to be like that or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, last thing you have. Do you think we could have a country, three riders, two males, one female team sheet at World Cups for an overall two-day score, just have another fun award or podium to chase? It's like the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Do you think do you think that's something that people would be interested in or would be fun to do or is it kind of pointless? It, I kind of see it both ways. Have like country versus country team. I think we've talked about this before. And I, I think... Uh, I got the idea from the rider. Oh no, motocross of nations is where we got the idea. 
Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think we've talked about it, like big races, like let's say World Champs, like a one-off. But like, would it be something to do like every World Cup weekend just to keep track of? So like, at the end of the World Cup weekend, there's an overall podium for um, the countries for the three rider team sheet, basically. I think that'd be kind of cool. Or, like, it could be something fun, right? I think it'd be kind of cool. The only thing is, like, <laughs> our sports, like, everyone's pretty selfish, so I don't think anyone would really give a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. everyone would just be worried about what they're doing. No one would really care, but I think it'd be cool. If co- there was... I think it'd be cool if you had, like, a BMX of Nations where it was an actual team event and it wasn't an individual thing and you actually, it was, I don't know, one or two days or whatever and it was country versus country. I think that would be cool. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be something really cool. Would that be a one-off or would it be like a... Yeah, it just had like a one-off. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. That, I think, yeah, you're right. That would be pretty cool. I mean, it's not reali- just, realistic, but... Like, no, none of these things are we talking about. They're not going to happen. <laughs> Imagine going to like Federation. All right, we need we need funding for this. They'd be like, yeah. Or they'd be like, is it Olympic qualification? No, okay, then we don't even recognize it. It's not Olympic qualification. Well, shit. Well, you're shit out of luck. Then, That's aren't crazy. You? That's like what all federations care about is just Olympic qualifications. If it's not, they just like, it just doesn't exist. It's like, yeah, why are we giving you money for this? Why are we giving you money to go have fun at this little tournament? You have to go to this thing for a sponsor? Oh, it doesn't have Olympic points? Okay, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Is it benefiting you towards your Olympic points? No. Nope. Oh, well, sorry. Um, yeah. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. What's I don't that? remember. I don't remember. Let's, okay. uh, let's call it Peter. Peter. Pete Dalewski. How about the PGA Tour wanting to start up in June? Oh, is that what's is that what's on the the news right now? Is right, before that we happen? before we call Pete, let's talk about this. This is like the first sporting thing I think that said it, the earliest any sport was going to come back. I think. Really? Yeah. So they're planning on coming back mid June without fans. What do we think? Okay, that's. Um, to be honest, I haven't watched the news. I don't know what things are like lately in the old COVID coronavirus situation. I haven't been paying attention for a while just because I've been trying to get away from it, but. So I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air right now. So it's, I think once they're there, it'd be safe because there's no fans. They're out in the middle of, on a course with no one around. And yes. so I think it's pretty safe. Although the problem is if people have to come internationally and stuff, like flying is more of a problem, I think for everyone, because then there's a higher risk with flying and more exposure. I think that's the main part. Yeah. Anytime you're bringing people together from other places, that's where it gets a little bit more, not good. And also they wanted, I heard this, I don't think they officially announced it, but they, I heard they wanted to secure a million, a million test kits. And it's like, people can't even get test kits in the general population and they don't even have enough. <laughs> so it's like, that seems very morally like not good. Like just so we can that, play a sport. That seems really fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, that <laughs> like doesn't there's, good. there's That's, so many people that need to be tested that can't. And then just cause a, a rich governing a sport, rich sport is going to pay for like, that seems really n- bad unfortunately so yeah the health comes first guys come on sports are the last thing on our mind although the ratings would be through the roof because it'd be the only sport on <laughs> that's really true actually yeah i haven't watched any of these cyber sports any online gaming exporting events um but i might have to here in the near future because with no sports to watch lately I'm, i just don't know what to do formula one's had a bunch of virtual gps it's pretty cool actually yeah, it's crazy. Even like, a, yeah, a lot of different sports. No, I think it's, it's an, I think it's awesome. What a good idea. Yeah. It's still good exposure for them or for the sponsors too. And just kind of a fun thing to bet, I bet for them to do. 
Yeah, yeah, with the amount of people watching it because they can't watch it on TV, yeah, they're getting a lot of exposure. It's too bad we can't do something like that. We don't have a video game to do it then. No, <laughs> you do like a, vir- a BMX video game. I know, and like Rich and uh, uh, Jay Rich could commentate. It'd be dope. <laughs> yeah, that'd be epic, wouldn't it? Yeah, if only. If only. Hey, Peter. Hi. How's it going? Great. Are you at a club right now, or what's that background noise? You're, <laughs> driving. You, oh, you're driving. You're you're on. Uh, we're 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 on coffee chatter right now. By the way, I'm driving on the F1 car. You're driving where? My F1 game. Are you actually? Yeah. Hold on. We're, we're hold on just second. talking about online gaming. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? What, what car are you in? Uh, Red Bull. I just got smoked. The Red Bull. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. They they always fucking blow up. Although, hey, let me hey, this, let, let me let me end this real quick, and then I'll call me back in like one minute. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Um, they switched to Honda engines this year. They were using Renault, but I think they switched to Honda last year, or this year, or something. Yeah, yeah, it was last year. Yeah, yeah, it was last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the new Netflix series Drive to Survive this year? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was it was good. I I think the first one. I thought it was a little more exciting because I think I, I didn't know what was going on, but yeah. because I paid attention to the Formula One season, I kind of already knew what was going on in the documentary. So it wasn't as exciting to me, but it was still cool to hear some behind-the-scenes gossip and excitement there, yeah. I didn't think this season was as good as the first season. I don't know if it maybe the first season was just better because it was the first one, but I didn't think this one was as good. It just seemed like there was more dra- I don't know. It seemed like there was more drama the first one for me. Yeah, there was. I, I don't know. I, yeah, it was good, but I feel like this season was a little forgettable. Yeah. It's such a cool sport. It's probably the most followed sport, well, besides soccer, I guess, but that's such a followed sport worldwide. Man, the amount of money that gets put Dude, into that sport. Insane. Oh my gosh. But like the like, drop off's insane. So like Lewis Hamilton will make like $50 million, and the dude in 20th is like paying to be on the team. Yeah. It's pretty but nice. I just, think it's, I just think it's incredible. They're like total a car. That's like how many million dollars for that one car? <laughs> I know. And, they're, and they're I know. the next day, they're back out with a fresh rig, just hopping on the start line again, like no big deal. It's like They what? spend millions of dollars just to go to the race. In the first turn, guy gets his uh, car yeah, clip yeah. and they're like, retire the car, retire the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh it's my like, God. There go- well, there goes $10 million out the window. <laughs> you spend so much money just to go to the first turn and you're done. I know. We just shipped this thing to buy rain and then, uh, you know, do blows out in the first corner and that that's it. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, done. I'll see you later. I guess it's the same thing as BMX, just times a thousand or times a hundred thousand yeah. million. I wonder how much it really like affects them budget wise when they do that. Oh, Pete's coming on. Is he back? Pete, can you hear me? Oh, he's not connected to the thing. One sec, one sec. Okay. Can you hear Waiting. me? Can you hear me now, Pete? Yeah. All right. How's it going, Pete? Hey, Pete. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, how was How was the Red Bull now that it switched to a Honda engine? Well, the one the the game's only 2019, and they don't switch to engine until 2021. Do you have uh, <laughs> a full on seat and wheel and everything? Yeah. Oh, that's sick. How is it? If you don't, ha- I got my, the guy, Max, that works with us, he has it and he had the wheel and he was like, you got to get it on so we can play online. And I downloaded the game what, like two weeks ago and without the wheel, it's not even worth playing. Like it's so bad. <laughs> it's so hard to play that I was like, 
I was gonna, I was mad because I was like, if I'm this bad after I bought the wheel, because the wheel was a couple hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. I was like, I would be so mad because I wouldn't play the game. But with the wheel and the seat, like I got the wheel, and then like the next week I bought the seat because my back was hurting because the way I was sitting <laughs> so <laughs> awkward. And I like the seat was. The seats actually makes it fun. Like, the, like it's in the middle of the, the room. Like, I have a third story in my house where it's, uh, there's nothing up here except my office that I don't use really anymore. It's from, like, when I first moved in and up here. So, I have a big screen TV. And so, now I actually could use it. So. Yeah. They say the tension of the wheel is like, is, is, like, the best part of it. Like, you need to get a good tension on a wheel, like, to play the video yeah, game nicely. Like, this one, I think because it was when everything, like, when the you know i got it like two weeks ago so anyone that wanted to get it was already like already bought it online every place was sold out and it's like the, the game itself i mean i know there's a hundred driving me? game the driving game was the driving game like this was a 2019 version because they don't even do like the 2020 version comes out in june for f1 but the steering wheel is like a 199 a 299 and then a, a more expensive and the and a 99 dollar one and the and any the ones under two hundred bucks were all sold out. So the one I got's like the best, the best of like until you get into like the real ones where like they're like you're dropping like six, seven, eight hundred dollars, and there's so much tension on it. Like I just hit the I hit the wall on this game, and my thumb was underneath the thing, and it like stubbed my thumb. It hurt like Jesus. it has so much. <laughs> it has so much action in it. Like I was like, oh, that's not good. But have you been watching? I mean, have you been watching the virtual GPS? I watched one of them. Like, I love F one, but you know those boring those races are so boring. Like in general, and it's like because they barely touch each other and the cars explode. And it's like, yeah. and I know NASCAR, and I know NASCAR is boring to watch because it's just circles. But it's actually fun when like they have more wrecks and there's ten cars wide or whatever. But like, I can't. I was like, I'll never watch an online. And I watched one of them, and it was okay. But it's like the first couple was kind of just like. I mean, I, I know now. Like, I just felt like. Today or yesterday, the Hamilton got a simulator. Not that's going to make the whole thing that much better, but like so far, it's all the little kids that have uh, that only have that have that are playing it. The young, the youngest guys. So. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but I but yeah, like so I watch I watch I watch the couple of the NASCAR ones. There's been like three or four of them, and they're boring to watch. It's more fun to hear what's going on. But like same thing. It's like. I don't know. I never thought I would sit and watch somebody play video games. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so this, this you've been staying busy without BMX, then, Pete. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's uh yeah. This this. I mean, that's, it was funny because I had a remote controlled truck that I haven't seen in like two or three years. I like got went online. I tried to play. The battery was dead, so I bought new batteries. I but like I've been buying because I still go to the I still go to our office a couple times a week, okay. three times a week for a few hours. Cause we're allowed to be open, but other than that, I'm pretty much home the whole time. And like, so I'm, that's why I like, I got the game. I was like, I, I, I've had PS4 for maybe two years. I had it. I've had it so long. I had two games. One was Supercross. I don't even know which, like maybe it was like the first Supercross one. Like that game. I, and I had a NASCAR game and I never even opened the NASCAR game. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, the, but when I went online to buy new games, the motocross game was two versions ago. So if it, so it's at least two years old, <laughs> but I, like I got it right when I, I had shoulder surgery and I was like, Oh, I'm going to play video games the whole time. And it's like, I didn't realize that I couldn't even hold the controller cause I was going to be in a sling. So, but I never used it. You, so, so you've still been going to the office. How have, uh, 
what's with everything going on lately has business slowed down are you guys not as busy or what's the what's the latest we it's kind of weird because like the first the first week that very first week when it was like it was so weird how the waves through the u.s went but it was like california got the kind of like stay at home order last and it was kind of like but the first week it was like business like usual. Then the second week it completely died. Well, it would be like 70% died. Like in whatever, like let's say on an average day we have like 20 orders and uh, we'd get like three orders, two orders. Like it was, it was pretty bad. And then after that it's steadily gone back up. And then like in the last two weeks it's been like kind of odd because we had some big distributor orders which are throw the whole thing off because like one was Canada and one was uh, Korea and Korea, they did like a, like a $50,000 order, but it's just, they can't ship it, but they just wanted to do the order cause they didn't want to miss out. And they were like, they're opening the shipping next week to be able to do it. I think like the shipping rates kind of jumped up cause they were so slowed down, but can regular like orders, just online orders have been pretty steady, like been pretty good. So it's, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's a lot of small orders. Um, but still a lot of, I mean, it's a dollar amount roughly around the same, but you see a lot of people buying like tires and brake cables, you know, like cut, like the order average orders, like just about over a hundred dollars. But then we, you know, you'll have orders where people buy complete custom bikes. So it's kind of weird, but how is, uh, how's the BMX industry doing in general these days? You think, cause you've been around it a long time. Like we'll get into it. We'll get into like when you're an agent and how everything was going on back then, but how do you view it now? Um, it's hard. Like the the one they they used to there's a there's like an industry magazine called the Bicycle Retailer, and they would always and everybody used to like when they would go to Interbike, and everybody would give all this information to the industry, and and through bike shops would give sale reports, and this was kind of really before a lot of people sold direct and online. So they used to they used to have a gauge on how well stuff would go, and as soon as BMX shops. <clears throat> started selling online i don't think they really report much stuff but over i it's hard because i'm sure like i don't want to say who it is but i'm there's a couple of bigger companies that like have laid people off <clears throat> like in just the last two days um and whether they're trying to you know whatever whatever, whatever the reason is it's like you're, you're kind of surprised to see it with some of those people like a week after the thing happened, there was people like saying, Oh, we have no money. And I know there's a, you know, it's like, I don't want to equate it to guys that race pro that don't make a lot of money, but it's like you, some of those guys race, race to race to make money and race local races to make money and do clinics to make money, whatever. So if that all gets shut off and you instantly have no money, if you live at home, you know, like if you can get by, then that's one thing. But if you're a business and you have employees to pay and you can't do it and you're living like, sale to sale that's not really good and i think a lot of and i hate to say this but i think a lot of the small companies that hurt the industry more than anything else they're going to get flushed away and but some of those people won't they won't really lose anything because it'll be like a small guy that's kind of like it's a hobby for him and he was doing it with his extra money that he made from his real job well if that guy's regular income's decreased he's not going to do it anymore so you're going to see these small companies just kind of go away and it's like maybe some of them could just pop back up because all they do is like make a break or pedals or whatever the one thing that they make. Um, but you also have these other people that were trying to be legitimate companies and not disrespecting them, but that they just won't have any, they, they won't have any sales before where they had smaller sales 
or they were selling to teams or they were selling direct or whatever they were doing. And I think a lot of those people will kind of like go away, which in the end will help. I mean, it's kind of hard because it'll help because the companies that stick around and that are good will, will it, there's only so much BMX stuff that gets sold. So all it does is dissipate from one company to another. But if 10 companies get the sales that there was 20 from before and those 10 companies are stronger, they can pay riders more, they can do more advertising, they can put more back in the sport. So it's a good, it's a good thing. It just depends on how the companies react afterwards. Cause like we, I mean, realistically, like at chase, we sat down and said, we have two of the highest paid riders right now. And luckily we just had a lot of inventory. So we weren't like, we were at first kind of not necessarily scared, but, um, kind of looking at it going, okay, we have inventory, so we don't have to worry about that. So we're not going to be spending any amount of money. We're going to have to pay our rent. We're going to have to pay our salaries. So if we don't have income, how long could we stay operational? if We had no sales and we kind of went through it and it was like, okay, three or four months where we could kind of like, if we had zero sales. And then, like I said, when it didn't really slow down, even the slowest it got, we were still ever to cover, our expenses, like if we broke it down per week, oh, which good, was, yeah. good. which was good, except for the, except for the rider salaries. That one was a little, that's a little bit different, but the rider salaries also get paid from co-sponsors. And we've been really lucky where every one of our co-sponsors basically said, we may pay you less now, but we'll pay you your contracted thing, no matter what happens for the whole year. So we, because we rely a lot on the co-sponsors to make sure to pay the riders. So what in, but on the end, the other end, like without spending any money on travel, without spending any money bonuses, we're pretty clean. So that it kind of like, so we weren't, that, that was the scarier part because at the same point, it's like you will see companies be like, okay, the first one to go is the athlete or the marketing guy, or, you know, who can, who can we do day to day business without? Um, and for us, it's like, I don't know how long it's going to last. We, you know, we, we all thought it was going to be three months or no racing or four months or whatever, but you can't expect someone that rides to you to, I mean, in our contract, it basically says we could pay them half or nothing or what, you know, it's like, there's a timetable if they don't race for a certain amount of period of time or on this instance, it's an act of God where you could instantly, they could instantly have their contracts ended, but we wouldn't, we don't want to do that. And it's like, we right. want to stand behind the guys. So that, mm -hmm. so that's pretty good, but I don't know. I don't know in a lot of other places what it's like. I mean, I have um, some friends in different industries, a, a friend of mine that owns a, couple of car dealerships and like how big it's affected them but on the other end it's like they're selling high dollar cars still like they're a Porsche they have a Porsche dealership and they're still selling cars they're just selling them to different parts of the country because people that have money still have money and maybe not as concerned or whatever at the same point they're looking at it like I can save thirty forty thousand dollars now and they just relying on that the you know their their income is going to be fine in a few months so uh, but BMX, yeah, it's a, I don't know. It's, it, it'll be mixed to see uh, the different thing. I've, I've, like I said, I've heard it from a whole bunch of different companies, and it's from here and there. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I know. We, like, uh... go on, Pete. Oh no, I would just say, like, we, like to be honest, I don't. BMX has always been like a looky loo. Like, what's that? Going? And to be honest, we don't really do that we may sometimes have things. It's funny. Cause like when you make a product, sometimes it's similar or, or different come out, but the way other couple, like, I don't, we don't really, it, it sounds, sometimes that sounds like a bad thing. Like you should pay attention to your competition. We pay attention, but 
the business models and the day-to-day stuff. We really don't pay attention. Like there's a bunch of people that I, that I'm good friends with in the industry and I talk to and we do share information because it's beneficial for all of us. Um, but at the same point, there's other, you know, other people, I don't like, I have no idea some of these companies, how they even exist to begin with, let alone how they're existing after this, or you'll get some companies that just, you know, um, Maybe they weren't making that much money to begin with, so it's not that big. I mean, I don't again, not to be disrespectful, but maybe it's not that big of a deal because if their sales are cut in half, but their sales are only whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Where some other companies, it's like, like there's going to be car companies that go out of business. There's going to be rent, you know, rental car places that go out of business. There's going to be all kinds of things like that because there's no way they can survive it. Or they're going to. There's a bunch of companies that have been laying people off, saying, "Oh, we'll hire you back." Meanwhile, those people are going to try to find other jobs because it's, it's so weird how like right now in the, at least in the U.S. where it's like there's surplus of people needed to work for Amazon or Costco or all these places that are open and essential. They need twice the workers. And even if it's like delivering pizzas, and I know that's nobody, nobody wants, maybe nobody wants to do that. I mean, I guess there's people that want to do it, but it's like people are going to find, you know, or, or, or people are creating their own things and they're making these thoughts they're doing their side hustles work and they're going to realize, well, I don't need to work for somebody. I, I mean, I, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's not going to just be like, let me shut off, shut my doors for three months and then open it up and everything's going to be back to business on that day for, for those companies that had to close. So in the U S bike, bike companies have been, have been called uh, essential because people use their bikes for transportation. And I know, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys ride your your BMX bike or, or transportation. I ride mine at the store why. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe that's, that's, why, that's maybe why we've been selling so many seatbelt tenders this last couple of months. But but yeah, we're you know we've been lucky to be able to be open and like I said, it's been good. Like we we do have one guy that's in the warehouse every day nine to five, and like when I go in, I don't you know it's like we still practice social distancing. I don't need you know I just go there to kind of be supportive to those guys we all work by computer a lot anyway our company's a little bit different we have someone that lives in florida someone that lives in europe someone that lives elsewhere so we've kind of been in that whole you know situation already where when we have three people in the office you know that's that's as many people as we have we're a small a smaller company and we run lean so we can spend our money in other areas and uh it works so right now we've been pretty lucky and the guy that uh, the, the main guy that's there all the time is awesome. He wants to be there. Like he was like, beg, you know, not begging me, but he was like, he was concerned that we were going to close. And um, he, lo- he's a, he's a great guy. And I, I mean, we kind of really lucked into that. So um, it's pretty cool. Like in general virus aside, um, do you think like you hear about it all the time that um, companies don't have as much money as they used to and whatever, is that true? Do BMX companies not have as much money as they used to maybe 15 years ago? Well, it's like a, to go back to the thing of people being like hobbyists, it's like I worked at GT in the 90s, in the, in the mid-90s, and that was probably the highlight of BMX. It was, it was like BMX back then, there wasn't like race and freestyle. Like you'd go to the Grands and there would be the top guys. Dave Mirror would be doing a freestyle show. They would have a ramp at the thing. He would go like he – like Dave Mirror used to do um, state fairs, like – before X Games, before those guys were making all the money, that before X Games kind of was their own thing, those guys used to go to state fairs. They basically did what what we do for racing on even a lower level. Like they were going to the Gold Cups 
uh, I mean, if you want to equate it, the gold cups and the state championships doing, <laughs> doing freestyle shows. So back then uh-huh. it was that one company, like when I worked at GT, dude, there was 150 people that worked there. And wow. you know, there was people making, I mean, there was people there welding, but like I went from the transition of when I worked wow. in GT and Huntington beach to where everything was done in the building or it was sent down the street. Like they didn't chrome plate inside the building, but it was done. 15 miles away or they didn't do the polishing or they didn't do the painting. They did, they didn't do the painting or the, but they welded it like a straight piece of metal came out and a frame left, you know what I mean? Like then it went to like when it moved and like majority of the stuff went overseas. We still have a lot of people. They're just not all in the same building. Um, but those companies were built on like back then they were the, the, they were a bike company and a distributor and like they had different brands and they had international chains. And you would sell to other distributors. And now it's like everything's so fragmented because it's like, hey, you want to make a Tory Nyhawk signature handlebar? Um, it's not that hard to figure out how to do it and buy a couple of hundred. And if you had five or $6,000 and you wanted to become a BMX company, um, you, you could do that. And, and, you know what I mean? Like, but are you happy with making $200 on your $5,000 investment or whatever? So back then it was like, everything was just done because there was 10 or 15 companies. Now it's like everybody has a company and everybody's fragmented. I mean, S and M and fit S and M and fit used to be, they were like the first guys to go, we're going to do our own thing in a garage. And all these other companies were like, you need a hundred people in the warehouse. So it's like, it's just basically like if there's 15 companies and they were all great and they were making mountain bikes. So like, and mountain bikes would, double the sale you know i mean bmx race bike is a specific niche little market and it's not huge so you have to so when you go when you say bike company to bmx race company there's a huge like if you have that pie diagram you have that little slice goes to bmx race in a company like say gt because gt would sell the 199 dollar bike you know 20 30 40 times to what they would sell the low-end race bikes for let alone the high-end race bike, which is what basically a lot of companies specialize in now. Um, there's not a lot of companies that have that big diversity. Like I think DK is one of them where they make a really inexpensive bike and then they make a decent high-end, higher-priced frame. So they have a big spread. Um, for us, like we only really make, I want to say a little bit higher than middle of the line, but middle of the line to high-end stuff. So that segments that little slice of the market down even more. So be, like I said before, when Trek got into BMX, Trek was the biggest bike company in the world. They own their own factories. Like they were making other people's bikes. Giant owns their own. Giant makes bikes for specialized and Giant makes bikes for everybody. Like, so it's crazy on how big those companies are when they're making millions of bikes a year. But when it comes to BMX race, it's like nobody's doing that because you see by the sheer numbers, there's 60, 70, 80,000 people in America that race. I don't know how many people in Canada, but I'm sure it's like 600. No, I'm sure it's like, <laughs> it's not that, it's not that. It's, if you talk 590, to anybody, 599, I retired. So yeah. Yeah. Now that you retired. Yeah. <laughs> but like anytime I talk to somebody in Canada, like BMX is so small here, but there is, there is decent sales there. But when you go through the countries, it's always like us first, France, Australia, South America, kind of, you know what I mean? Like that's the, the, the hierarchy of, of where the sales go. And you know, it's like Australia is not that big. And like when we were in Australia, there was a lot of kids there and it's got tons and tons of tracks. Like it's completely different, but it's not, you know, the racing high end 
side of it, BMX is not that big. When you walk down the street and you saw a skate park every, you know, four blocks, you're like, okay. And you, you know, so, so yeah, BMX race specifically gets, gets the whole narrowed down. So yeah, comparing it now to back then, it's completely, it's a completely different market. It's a completely segment, but yeah, it's much smaller than what it was because, you know, GT was 10 different divisions. And now it's like, you know, I think GT has a race program. I mean, I, I, I no disrespect, but I, I mean, I know they have a few people, but it's like, they, it probably doesn't even a blip on their radar compared to how that's how they started. And, you know, so they look at it as it's not a profitable investment for, you know, that more that big of an investment, but they still do it. And that's great. They have roots in the sport, but so, but yeah, it was just sheer, sheer, the sheer, and I mean, I think the sheer numbers used to be bigger too, because I don't, I mean, you guys are young. I mean, you're 28. So you still don't, I mean, and, and that's still young, sorry, <laughs> but you have no clue what it used to be like growing up. Like, you know, it used to be, you had like five choices of things to do. <laughs> like you could play football and you, you mean like there was no, actually that's a good point. There, yeah. There's so much there stuff wasn't to do all nowadays. These other things to do like roller, rollerblades weren't invented. I mean, I were, you know, I mean, I'm that's dating myself too, but like, not that that's the most popular thing, but paintball guns weren't invented and all these things weren't around to do. So it was like, you played like when you went to high school, you played football or you played baseball or you did like, I remember I had, a, I had like four or five buddies in my high school that raced BMX. I didn't know what it was. And I played little league baseball. And I remember like, I, I, I just thought that BMX was so much cooler because you could do it all the time by yourself. You didn't have somebody yelling at you. If you dropped the ball, you didn't have to wait to get up to hit the ball. You know what I mean? So like BMX was cool at that point because you could just go and do it. It's like we had trails. So like I used to ride my bike past the trails to go to baseball. And I was like, I went to base, play baseball one time. And I remember getting pulled out of the game, not to be a crybaby, but I was like, I went the next day. I was like, I rode to the trails and I just stopped. And I was like, I could do this all day. I wasn't good at it, but I could, I was like, I could do this all day and not have to wait and do, you know? So, but yeah, there wasn't much stuff to do back then too. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't online gaming. There wasn't all this stuff to do. Like, so, you, your choices were less and it looked cool because people that wanted to race motorcycles, whether they couldn't afford it or they just wanted to emulate it because they weren't old enough, you know, because motorcycle racing has been around or, you know, dirt bike racing. So it was kind of like there wasn't that many choices. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was easier back then to do it, too. But the bikes were horrible. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> it's funny. We always talk about, like, with the BMX, like you made a good point, like, BMX is so specific. The general person is not going to go out and buy a BMX bike because that bike is so specific to the BMX track. They're going to go buy a mountain bike that they can ride basically in every kind of terrain they want. That's the tough part when it comes to, I feel like, the sales of BMX in general. Yeah. And it's hard because, like, so our company, we, we for international customers, because it's like, you know, U.S.-based company, we want to have a, a image. You know, BMX started in the U.S., argumentatively or whatever if you want to say it was maybe created somewhere i don't know but when you go through it it's like we don't want to have an inexpensive bike because we want to have the best riders and the best friend you know so it's like we don't make a cheap we don't make a cheap bike but in some of these other places a cheap bike is like still the best bmx bike you can get but like you said like here it's like you can go on amazon and buy a bike that says bmx on it for 99 dollars and <laughs> For most people, that's like, why would I spend how much on a bike? Like, you know what I mean? Um, that don't know what BMX, like I said, what don't know what BMX is, or they go into a bike shop and the bike shop um, tell you what they have on the floor, unfortunately, sometimes. So it's like, 
but uh but yeah it's it, it, it it's it's a little bit tough for that uh, for people that aren't familiar like obviously we're talking about just bikes in general but people kind of know you pete as being the guy behind chase but what other brands are you involved with so people other people can well, for i mean like so basically for me i'm a i'm a partner with the chase brand and we're owned it's owned by a company i mean which is our company called brg which so they we have a bunch of different brands component brands like 11 which is a higher end brand insight which is a middle so middle end brand xs which is like a couple of different you know just a different name for some like cranks and different stuff icon which makes carbon fiber wheels um and then uh the position one bikes that we do, we work on design here, but we don't actually sell them in the U S. Um, so for that, that's, that's my main thing that I do is my day to day thing is oversee, um, the U S operations for the BMX racing group. I also do, I help uh, do consulting. I hate to say consulting, but I help consult for Tioga with their race sponsorship and development and some of their, uh, social media stuff. So, for the brand, you know, for that brand, and and that kind of, you know, that works alongside of what we're doing because uh, we don't make a tire, and we actually are a distributor for Tioga through BRG, so kind of all plays in together. But as far as com- brands, that's all I that's all I work with um, in BMX. And so, a lot of people don't know as well, but you were actually an agent before in BMX, weren't you? Yeah. So how did that so all come? I, how did that all come about? Like, did you have your own agency, or because it's not like a big market either? So you must have been one of the few no. that was doing it. When I worked at GT, one of my jobs was helping find co sponsors, and at the time, again, it was easier. Like I can, I tell you numbers and I can tell you how it worked, but it was easier to find someone willing to give the team twenty thousand dollars and ten thousand, whatever it was, and companies outside of the company, inside of the company. I didn't, I didn't like. GT used to have sponsorships through WD40 and Acura and LA Gear and all these, you know, bigger outside companies. I didn't really have a lot to do with that other than what we presented to them as far as how we outlined our BMX program. There was people above me that were doing it. But back then it was like I had brands because it was like at that time. So in the mid 90s, BMX was at its biggest. I want, you know, argumentatively again it was at its biggest peak where there was all these new companies with money coming in saying i'm gonna be the new guy that makes all the cnc parts so i'm gonna make sprout like like uh the modern a modern day croupy but there was all these companies that would come in like i want to pay a guy and i want to pay this number one guy and so we would have we would turn away companies from gt because we couldn't gt was at that point starting to make everything themselves they find they realized that like if they made every part and component, yeah, they would lose money, but they would have the marketing to promote all their own brands. So from my side, because I worked in the office running the pro team, so I, I oversaw all the pro riders, which were like Gary Ellis and Danny, Danny Nelson and Charles Townsend and Greg Romero and you know Justin Green and a, whole, you know, a bunch of other guys, Mario Soto. And so I, I would work with them ex- pretty much exclusively and then, the GT amateur team and the Robinson amateur team while they had those. But we would get sponsors, even if it was like Chris King or Shimano or whoever it was, KMC. And I was the one kind of negotiating that. And I kind of, I remember it was really, to be honest, it was Jamie Staff who was riding for Haro. I remember right before he rode for Haro, but he was like, 
I had met him a few times and he moved to America and he was like, can you help me with this? And I helped him do something. And then I helped somebody else because it was just like a friendship thing because it was easy because I would have companies call me saying, we want to pay somebody money. I'd be like, well, we can't take your money at GT, but this guy could, this guy would be helpful. And it was not, I mean, it was counterproductive in a little, I guess now I would look at it and say that wasn't the right, you know, but I also wanted those companies to, I didn't think realize it at the time, but I didn't. I wanted to be have a relationship with these people, or I had a relationship with these people, and I didn't want to see them go down the wrong road because we all see riders that get sponsorships, and you're like, why did that guy get it? Because you know that all he's really going to do is burn that company and not want to be involved with BMX anymore. So, mm-hmm. in the long term, because unfortunately riders don't have the long term vision. A lot of them are like, I need to get paid right now, which is which is right because you only have a small shelf life of racing, but um, so I was trying to help do that. And I was like, man, there was so much money we were turning away. And then it was like somebody else, you know, another rider came and talked to me. And then it was another guy. And I was like, and then at the same point, I was at a point where I worked there, where I was at the, probably the highest I was going to get within the company, unless I became one of those guys that never went to races anymore. And was like one of those men, you know, one of those guys that just, I hate to say it, lose the touch with the sport because that company was so big. You could move, you could excel through it, but you wouldn't be going to the, you wouldn't have time to go to the races because you'd be so involved and heavily doing other things. So I kind of took a leap of faith um, and said, if I, if I do it now, I can, uh, I can maybe make more money or do something that nobody's been doing. And then there was other people, there was like, there was a few people because like when John Tomac raced BMX, he had a friend that was kind of his agent, which became his agent when he raced mountain bikes. So it was like, there was a few people doing things and negotiating deals, but not really, not on that. Like I never dealt with anybody like that within the years when I worked there. And even the first few years that I did it, people, you know, I used to get made fun of cause they would call me 10% Pete because it was like, Oh, you're getting 10% of the riders. <laughs> Dude, guys would come from Europe. Like the guys or whoever I worked with, Matt Hayden, he was like one of the, he was a kid that raced from when he was nine years old to double A pro and he did it. And whether his parents helped him in the beginning, got a sponsorship or it used to be like, here's your contract, sign it. That was it. Um, here's your, you know, here's what you get here, whatever it was. They didn't know how to ask for more. And it's like, you know, it's like, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And it's hard. Like you when, to, when you're younger, it's hard. You have it's to hard be to, realistic. Yeah. It's you hard have to, to ask. Realistic. Yeah. You have to know. You have to know the market. You have to know everybody else's salary. So there's a bunch of stuff behind it. It's not that simple that just to say, I need more. Because there's a point where you piss somebody off just saying, oh, I need this much. It's like, you're so, un- I, I had it happen to me after the, after the Olympics and uh, not in, 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 in uh, London. I had a few riders come to me and they were like, they were so out of their minds thinking that they were what they were worth. (laughs) And I don't, I was, I didn't didn't even know where it came from. And it was like, and I hate to say it, but they, I tried to explain it to them. And those people, two of them completely have disappeared since. And it happened to me and it happened to me this year from somebody that came up to me and said a week before Australia asking me for a sponsorship with a dollar amount attached to it that, would shock you for the dollar amount and would shock you who the athlete was. Oh, I'd love to know. I'd love to know. I said, I'm even, even by saying this, I don't mean, I don't mean to disrespect this person, but I told them, I said, let me explain to you how it works. 
and let me show you what would be feasible. I will be more than happy to sit down and, and like in the nicest of ways. And they didn't email me back. They didn't say anything. I saw them and looked into their eyes at the race in, uh, please, in Australia. Please say, like, please say who it was. They ghosted right through me. And I was like, that person will disappear. And it would be like, you would be like, do you remember that? I'm trying to remember who the top Canadian was. And uh, no disrespect. I'm trying to remember the, what was his name? Bob. Come on, you guys had to have a look at Scott Irwin? No. Bob? Who's was, Bob? Who the hell's Bob? I was trying to think of Well, he was the best of the Canadians, let's just say. I don't know. <laughs> that used to come to the NBL race. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Um, I don't, again, I don't want to be bad, but <laughs> I'll have to ask Dale. Dale remembers every single guy. But <laughs> anyway, it's like somebody that will just disappear, and you'll be like, do you remember? And be like, be like this guy. Do you remember? Nope. <laughs> like, no clue who that was. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's it's hard. It's hard to do both. And at the same point, if you're mediocre, and again, I don't mean to be disrespectful because everybody's in their own level of where they line up in the chain. But if you're like a mid-pack guy, and I always try to equate it to like realistic things like, hey, I loved, I love to drive my car fast. Do you think I could get a phone number for like, Total Wolf at Mercedes to ask them if I can drive for their team. It's like, what? Cause that's the equivalent of like, yeah. when you get a resume from a 17 intermediate asking you to be on the pro team, like what? Like I'm going for the Olympic. I got an email last week that said I'm going to the Olympics. And I was like, no, you're not. I, mean, like, be I realistic, literally people. emailed him back and said, no, you're not. Like your, Are you shitting me? Even, your country doesn't even have a point. Like you, like, and you're not getting one at the world. You're not going. Like, it's not happening. <laughs> Just email them back. You're not going. <laughs> and it's like, I reply to every email I get, and I try to be nice, but there's some of them are just so utterly ridiculous when it comes to the sponsorship level. Like, I love when Todd Lyons posts stuff and Derek Betcher maybe yeah. posts some stuff sometimes. But yeah, Betchers like, are pretty classic. I mean, I understand, again, you can't get unless you ask for it, but then you also have to be realistic. Like there's a yeah. fine line. The industry has changed yeah. quite a bit though, because it used to be like just about, you know, racing the U S series, going to the worlds and whatever. Um, but now at the Olympics and stuff, there's the carrot of that. So I think a lot of people are willing to take less money just to chase their Olympic dream, especially if they're getting money from the Federation already. It's kind of changed the motivation. Now, I think I, I asked you this once before, Tori, it's like when you retired, I was like, would you, I mean, I think, but you know, it's like as an athlete, I'm just going to hurt people's feelings too. But as an athlete, it's like, you know, you have no, not you, but you have that athlete realistically on paper in real life, whatever it is, has no chance of getting a medal at the Olympics. But is a caveat of just saying you're an Olympian enough for you to do it knowing like, and I know it's like, you can't say, Oh, you don't know. For, I mean, you know, some people just don't have it. And again, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not being disrespectful because it's like I'm whatever, whatever I am. I mean, I always equate it back to myself, and I'm not a, not saying I'm above anybody, but it's like when you know, it's like. But I'm just is it is it worth it just to say you're an Olympian just for the experience to go? Like I don't know. I mean, like I also know there's only three medals handed out, and there's a lot of people. So, but it's like some of that stuff. It's like putting your whole life on hold to do something makes I don't know. This, I don't. I didn't. I haven't seen it really work out for a lot of people. But then there's someone like Lolo Jones who like never medaled and no, again, no disrespect to her. And she's, you know, a famous athlete 
being a three-time Olympian and she has some sponsors and she's made a pretty decent life, but she's also in a completely different sport than ours. And BMX, it's like, it's already that hard to do all that. You know, who got second and third at the Olympics, you know, before? And it's like, did that propel their, their aspirations up above and beyond? Even like Connor, like Connor made more money. I know, I know, I know what Connor makes. So this one's an easy one. I know he's made more money, but like, and it's and it's great for him, but the guy that got fourth. Can you tell me who got? I'm sure you guys can, but who got fourth at the Olympics? Like, who got even? Who got? I mean, I know like the the Colombian guys that got second or the third at the Olympics. It's like I don't know. It's in their country, it definitely helped them. But in like some of these other places, I don't know. Even like, unfortunately for there, I know as a. So I'll ask you, as an athlete, if you got fifth at the Olympics or you made the Olympic final. <laughs> How, Which I how did, yeah. That, <laughs> right, so it's like... It's no, like it's, that, let me tell you, Pete, that fifth paid huge in Canada. <laughs> 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 no, I get so I get what you're saying, yeah. I mean... I mean, I, again, uh, but I'm saying as an athlete, I, I, I'm asking for your opinion. As an athlete, is it worth it just to say you went to the Olympics because you were able to go? Like, I mean, I've been to two Olympics... <laughs> I probably made as much money. I probably made more money in Beijing than guys that went and raced. I don't. Again, I don't want to. That sounds bad, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to compete. But again, like as an athlete, it's like to say you went to the Olympics and got moto. I don't know. Like, yeah, I know what you mean. I know it's. A, I'm sure it's a flex to be like, yeah, I'm an Olympian. How'd you do? Well, yeah. Well, I was I mean, always kind of like, I'm not. Gonna, yeah. I was always kind of like if. I'm not going to put in the work and dedicate myself and do all this if I'm, if I'm not competitive. So, mm-hmm. I mean, luckily I was, I was always competitive and I always had the confidence that I could be in a final and go for a podium, no matter where in the world Olympics included. So I did, but if I didn't have a shot, if I didn't have a shot at that, I wouldn't race. But like you, you know, you've been going to world cups and I don't know how this turned around to me asking you questions now, but you've been going to world cups and you see those guys, <laughs> I, I know three or four guys that go to World Cups. I swear they go just to post stuff on Instagram. I think and it's, I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I always I don't know. I like, know, yeah. I, I like to post stuff on Instagram, but I'm not, like, I'm there to do something else, whether everyone thinks it's a good job or not. That's a whole different story. But if I'm judging you on your competition as a pro BMXer and you're going there and your highlight was you got one rad shot from Craig Dutton in practice, and you post it on Instagram, like, oh, I'll be back next week. It's like, no, you won't. You'll be back in the back of the past <laughs> where you're going to be. Like, I but, know. I know what you mean. But yeah. I mean, at the, yeah. at the yeah. same point, I'm, I'm sure, Tori, you didn't go to your first World Cup and light the I mean, you might have. I, you didn't light the world on fire, maybe in time trial. <laughs> but it's like, you didn't, you know what I mean? It's like, so there is a there is a process of getting better. But For like, sure. you, you've, seen, you've yeah. seen it too. There's people that just go and go and go. And it's like, no. But the people that go and go and go and never change anything, never improve, never do well, I always kind of wonder what the point is because you're just losing money. You're putting yourself at risk. And so for me, like my mentality personally, I don't really understand that. That being said, if you're like a young rider with a ton of potential and you're not doing well now, but you'd think you might, I think that's awesome. But if the people that just keep going and going and spending money and risking it and never doing well, I guess, yeah, I, I don't really understand uh, to be honest, I don't really understand why. And I think it's okay to not be at that World Cup level. Like it's okay. If right. You, it's right. okay yeah, to yeah. just mm-hmm. to just race pro uh, in Europe or USA BMX race April. Like that's all cool. Like, it, you know, 
I, I wouldn't put it this way. If I, if I didn't have a chance to be in World Cup mains or podiums or whatever, I, there's no way I would race Supercross. It's so dangerous. You have to be so dedicated. And I love chasing all those. Um, you know, I love chasing the results and bettering myself. But if I wasn't competitive, there's no way I would do it. And I think that's totally okay to not do it. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, for me, one of the things, I mean, I don't know. One of the things I have done too is like, so between Chase and Tioga, we supported USA Cycling. They used to have a junior development program, which was in Chula Vista on the Beijing track, which everyone thinks the greatest track, but now it's like the easiest track in the which world. Which track is that one again? <laughs> is it new? Which track is that? Is it new, that one? No. <laughs> but when I used to go there, it was like the junior development program was like, you qualified for it by racing this Friday night thing at the USA BMX races. So you tell me, Tori, by getting first place on a Friday night race against eight other guys, <laughs> seven other guys on at Rockford, you're going to go, okay, let me go to this camp where now I got to fling my body down this hill and hopefully not crap my pants in the air over the first <laughs> jump. Because my wheel did my front wheel didn't even come off the ground at Rockford. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So, but I was going to those camps and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this, how, how there's no, there's nothing in between. So like you're saying, it's fine not to do world cups because it's hard. Now it's a little bit easier. Now there's more places. And you think about that too. That was six years ago, seven years ago where there was no place that like you went to a supercross track or you went to like South park. And I don't even know if South park was the biggest track for a while, but, um, it was pretty, it was pretty gnarly, but (laughs) But yeah, yeah, you don't have to do it. Like, no, you don't. You have, don't. Like Dominic Daniels, like Dominic Daniels was great for racing USA BMX. She was the hard most, and and this, it's disrespectful, but yeah, she was the worst Supercross rider in the history of the Supercross ever. Like <laughs> her dad used to stand by the side of the jump to catch it. Yeah, like yeah. By the way, the guy from Canada was Bob Raleigh. Oh, Rob Raleigh. Yeah, I've heard of him. You might want to look him up. You might want to look him up. But yeah, I, like, I, might, I might actually need to look him there's up. There's no way I would want to ride a supercross track if I wasn't ready to. It's so dangerous. Right. And I think if, if someone's like, if someone's uh, not forcing, maybe forcing is the wrong word, but if someone's like really pushing someone to ride supercross and they're not ready, that's really wrong. Yeah. And that's the thing. It was like the Olympics, the Olympics, the Olympics. And it's like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like I... I I get it, but it's like you. There, there. It's like playing. That's the one. That's that's the one. You're not going to get up there with 350 pound dudes and run into each other. No, like work your way up. The Olympics is the one percent of the one percent. There's such a small elite group that actually, you know, gets to go there with a shot. That there's nothing wrong. Like I said, with with racing, no normal BMX and having you know decent pro career and enjoying the sport and making a bit of money. Uh Yeah, I, I think that's something in general that would be cool to see actually is see more people be okay with that, to see it grow the smaller series and not just have everyone go to these World Cups. Like we've talked about, sometimes too many people show up to these World Cups. It would be cool to make the World Cups a little bit smaller, a little more prestige, and then have the the national races or national series be a little bit bigger, have more riders go to those and participate. I mean, in Canada, how many guys, like, and this is, this is, and this is a, this is a disconnect as, as good as social media is today, but like, the Canadian Pro Series that there is, is it only based through USA BMX now, or is there not anything else? Like we, you can. We be- have one other series, but it's it's like small. You're lucky if you get two racks. Dep- yeah. Depends on where you go. Like if you go West Coast, yeah. you get two racks. If you go East Coast, you might only get one rack. You don't even know. Canada Cup Series, yeah, it's really small. So it's just because, like, 
I even, you know, it's like we've, when, again, in the in the 90s, it used to be 36 weekends of USA BMX races. And you would, every one of them was a pro race. And every one of them, you could race pro, pro open, and pro cruiser. There were some Wahoos that would do all three, maybe because they had bonuses, maybe because that was all the money they made or whatever the reason was. But they would go, like most of those races, you would know like Wichita, Kansas, maybe nobody's going, maybe there's 10 guys or 12 guys. But there would be, you know, they would have quarters. They would, there would be those big races all the time. But yeah, they didn't have, that was it. That was the pinnacle for those guys was the USA, you know, ABA at the time. So that was it. So they didn't have anything else. Now when you look at it, when it's like, there's 10 World Cups and five weekends and you got to peak at this race and the World Championships and the Olympics. It's like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's like, there's so many, you know, it's the same thing. It's the distraction of like we said, when you were, when I was young and you could play four sports. Now it's like, you don't like, when you make your schedule in the beginning of the year, you might say, okay, I'm going to skip these three big USA BMX races because the World Cup or the World Championships is this time. And this is uh-huh. my time to get points. And so that's, that's the whole thing too, where I don't, you know, that's just a scheduling thing, but um, yeah, it would be it would be nice it would be nice to where those rate you know it, it's hard because the whole thing of scheduling it's like if there's only five races you guys complain if there's ten races you guys complain. <laughs> I, true though, it's I, true. The BM, and BMX BMX has always been that way, so it's not you know it's not anybody's fault, but it's like. There's too many races. It's too much money. There's not. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever said there's too much. Money. We're making way too much money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's more valuable? To, what's more valuable to you guys? We asked Rich this in his podcast, but I don't know. USA BMX exposure with Connor and Joris, or World Cup exposure? Because obviously, with USA BMX stuff, they're all wearing your team kit and everything. Yeah. So there's diff- there's different levels. So like, I've never got. Again, it's a different. It's not. You can't. It's hard to compare. But I never got an email after Manchester. That well, no, I'm sorry. Manchester is an exception. I never got an email after one of the Poppendall where it said this guy had the time to take. You know, Connor Field had the time to come and do autographs, and he does it. But where you get ten of those after a weekend of those guys going to USA BMX. Yeah, um, more people, more kids in there and stuff there. When, when, as far as a marketing thing, the world, the one. The one good thing the World Cup has is the webcast, so that reaches out. And I, I think we, I think you've seen some of the numbers, Tori. But some of those World Cups get over a million viewers. Between if it's on live TV in that country, it's on the UCI's webpage, it's on BMX Live TV, it's shown in five to eight different countries live or replay on the on the weekend. So I mean, there's good good value in that. So on that standpoint, it's good because it's probably it's a, it's hard because it's the diehard people watch it on the on BMX Live, I think. And those, even though those are people that like love the sport, they're not the ones you're influencing to buy things. Where, so I mean, you have a mixed bag. So it just depends on where you're at. But I do think for us, like for companies, they do see great exposure from World Cups when it comes to. But the exposure is you know the guy and you see a commercial and you see a banner. So it's really, it's really watered down. When you go to a USA BMX national and you're there all day long for two days or day and a half now with Fridays, you have time to go to the pros tent and see that guy. And he's not, as you know, you know, you, you know, you guys know it, how more of a relaxed feeling it is going to a national versus a world cup you have more time to kick back and, and you are still serious about it, but you have a, a lot more time and it's not as dangerous or 
it's not, you know, so there's other aspects of it. So it's a, it's a 50, 50 thing. The problem is when you go to you, not a problem, but when you go to USA BMX races, there's so many, there's so many things there. Um, there's so many teams there. It's harder for us, you know, for a brand to stand out. Um, you have to be creative, but so it's kind of, it's, it, they both have their thing. And, and to be honest, you have to do both. You could, I don't think it's right just to do one because like for us as chase, we don't sponsor the USA BMX series, but we sponsor the world cup series, but we have two riders and we're really lucky that get first or second or third, you know, they're in the finals all the time. They're usually on the podium a lot of time. So that's our exposure. So we're spending more money on those guys between their salaries and their bonuses than putting money into the sport because we know they can do the marketing for us. Where on the world cup side, they're also as good. So, but we sponsor the series so we can get to the people that never knew about BMX and have a ad for Chase or our, or BRG store or whatever it is to hopefully capitalize on that for people to put them in the right direction. So we, we need to do both. Um, but it just depends on what you're selling too. Like for a high end race brand, I'm not, I don't ever think we're influencing anybody that's racing at a world cup, but you're influencing people that are racing at the USA BMX national. So it's a, it's a kind of a different, different Avenue. But one thing I, one of the guys at GT, Rich Long, who's one of the founders always told me was you want to have, you want to make a bunch of dots and your goal for marketing, like with, with what you do with the athletes or, or whatever it is, the brand and parts, you make all these dots. And as a marketing person, you want to make those dots connect. So it's a circle. So they all connect in some way and they all come back to each other to where when you did something at back then, it was like the boy scout jamboree. Like, why would he do that? Versus the world championships and a race and a local bike shop, all those things connected because the kid was at the boy scout jamboree. He went to the local shop, he got a bike, he went to a national, he did a clinic and then he started racing. So it's like, that's a, a rudimentary one just for one person and one thing, but like they would do stuff for where the BMX team promoted the mountain bike team and you know, all these different things. So what, whether, however we can do it to promote the brand to get people to remember it makes more sense. So to answer your question, really, there's not a clear answer, but the world cups really help from the visibility and, and we can see it now because we sell online and we can see the influx of, of Australia weekend. We saw a huge increase in sales. That's really cool. That's actually, like, that's, that's cool. There's a way. And like, we didn't do any discount code. We didn't do anything to track it a little bit further because honestly, that stuff doesn't necessarily give you, it gives you a good gauge, but not a concrete one because a lot of people forget to enter those things. So it doesn't help you if you're going to use that as your raw data. But when you can see the increase of sales, um, from around the hour or two when the event ended during the event, like that pinpointed down, that's some pretty decent, you know, data to use as far as for what result you're getting. So we could see that. And and it's like, I can tell you, you know, it's like now it's like, we've been doing it long enough that I can tell you when, why I post, you know, so it's the whole way of, you know, doing stuff, but we do things based off of what we see on sales. Um, But again, like, there's so many races, it's hard because then it's the same point. Like, at, but at a USA BMX race, a vendor may buy more than you're going to sell online, you know, on the weekend before they go to the race, and you have four, three vendors or whatever. So it's it's it. They both have their pluses and, and negatives. So the USA BMX one is it has more attributes to it, but it's not as I'm not going to say it's, it's not as in, it's it's very impactful, but you don't have the reach. But you have you have more of a 
more of a uh, personal reach there where the other one's just kind of like, you know, like you're watching a football soccer game and you see the commercials and maybe you think about it and go on their website later. So there's, 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 you know, there's a good and po- there's positives and negatives for both. That doesn't help you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually a really interesting way to look at it. I really thought of it like that, how it just both kind of tie into that. I've been, I've been curious. You kind of talked about um, like riders coming to you, Pete, and like, obviously, you know, obviously from being an agent, like what the riders get, how do you value a rider these days with social media results? Like how would you basically, if a rider came to you, how would you value them? Like if you, if you, if we take modern day people like Barry Noble still has the most Instagram, uh, not the most, but like let's say Barry Nobles is a great guy to say, Oh, this guy on social media and Instagram. But I find it sometimes it's like, it's that's that's a big part of it now because he's in front of people more and more because if you're just basing it on who's like these people like to come with you to, with data that say like so-and-so had this many impressions i don't like if you think about when you guys went on instagram this morning because i know you're i know tori's on instagram like 23 hours a day and i don't even know if he like <laughs> must, must must pinch himself to keep waking up because he's posted on every every person I seem to follow. He's make he makes some kind of comment. Yeah, I go through and, my uh, uh, I go through my mor- yeah I go through my morning scroll and like to leave a sarcastic comment. It kind of gives me I that mean, like if, warm warm feeling on Christmas morning feeling. You know, if Snap on Green if Snap on Green posted like every fifteen minutes, you would never be able to go to the bathroom for it because you wouldn't be able you wouldn't be able to get you wouldn't be able to do anything other than post comments. I know it, it brings me joy. I, I make myself laugh. You know, the, more, the most important thing is to make yourself laugh. But, um, so, so, I mean, so you have, so, but those are like, but I was going to say, like when you scroll through the stuff this morning, most people other than Tori, you probably don't even like half of the, like you follow these people and you probably hate don't even guy. like half of, half of the stuff that they post. So, you know, you can go on the back end of Instagram when you have, or Facebook or wherever, where you have a business account, or an, I think you could do it on an athlete account and say like, I had my post reach, you know, and they have a weird way to do it. Cause if you put a video up, it's broken down by the percentage that they've stayed on your post versus how long it's up and how long that video is. And so it's like, you can have a video that has 20,000 likes, 20,000 views, but like 2000 likes. So you're like, you don't really know how to gauge it, but so some of that stuff, it's while it's impressions, it's not impressionable. So, just this, this, like Mariana has like 1.8 million Facebook followers, but or or Instagram followers, but there's probably not you know that many, and they're just people. So it's like they're getting to know what Mariana does. So it's it's different, but for us, it's like you need to have a good balance. Like you need to have if you want to have credibility in the like as a brand, if you want to have credibility in the product that you make, it's about results. Impressions are great. But it doesn't matter how many people saw whatever it is if 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 the if the product's no good and you know what I mean it's like it doesn't matter how popular Barry Nobles is and I know he I know he rides Haro stuff but it's like most people probably don't know that he rides Haro stuff I didn't even know that uh, they know they know that Barry Nobles does you know whatever Barry Nobles wants to do and uh, that's great for him and I I I think Barry's a great guy but when it comes to a brand looking to you know like when you get into like these outside the industry non you know like even monster and red bull and they don't they don't they don't care they they care about the views they care about all that stuff and how you can be impressionable they don't care about the results so so but as a brand 
we care about both. Like you need this again, you need to have a balancing act of being really good and interactive on social media and at the same time, be able to back it up because a lot of people can like you for your personality. It doesn't mean you do good, do good at your job. So it's a, you know, and, and everybody's different because same thing, the hierarchy of a new company that just wants to get their name out there. They're going to go after the guy with the more views and more, you know, how much he posts and all that, because they just want to be along for the ride. A company that's been around, not saying that we have, but a company that's been around for a while that wants to be, you know, looked at as a serious company that makes products that make people better. Um, they need the, they need the results from it. So it's, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit, it's, 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 it has a different scenario for each people, but same thing. It's like, it depends on what your goal is. Your objective is as a business. It's like, what do you want more? Do you want views? Do you want respect? Do you want credibility? So. Cause then people also have to trust the products. Like it's a BMX racing product after all. So it, yeah. they need to see people that are doing well using it to really trust it probably too. But I mean, it's like you, I think you do a pretty good job to where like you entertain people. Like you both got, you entertain people and then you, you have some stuff that's obviously, you know, sponsor related and, uh, but it ties in. It's not, you know, and it, and it works really good. You have other people like, Oh, I'm just sitting in my kitchen drinking my, Fit tea or whatever. Yeah. It needs to be like, like, if it's just a generic post or if it's just a generic post of you jumping, tagging sponsors, no one's going to care or even look at it. Like we, we did this thing and I'm, I'm against the quarantine COVID, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we did a thing. It was just called the chase quarantine challenge. Just, and I said in the opening thing, I said, some of these are going to be goofy, but they're meant to be fun. And yeah, they're all tied around a sponsor, but it's like, Sponsors pay those guys salaries. They pay our company. And it's like, I want to give back to them. So the Van Shoelace Challenge, it's stupid. It, I mean, it's not stupid, but it's like, it has nothing to do with it. But it was viewed and like Van doesn't do a lot of stuff. They, Van sponsors a team and they're a great company. They don't interact with us much on social media. So they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. They reposted it. Like we never had so much reaction from something where it was like putting your shoelaces in your shoes. It was just to be fun. And it was like, for some reason, Connor can't, try, Connor doesn't ever want to try on any challenges. And Doris is super serious. So it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Cause like Doris has won all of them so far, but like something like that was just like completely different. But it's like, you'll remember that versus like you said, a post of a guy hitting a jump saying like, I don't know, I'm going to call him out. Justin Posey's the absolute worst. He put a photo, he put a photo up in February from the, he put a photo up in February from the grand. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, like, no one's going to have yeah. the brands and like, did they have, I didn't, you know, and I get it. I mean, there's not much else to post, but it's like, you got to make it to where people want to see your stuff. You know, it's like, same thing. Like you scroll through all this stuff. Stop. Just like an ad on the, in a magazine or online or on a TV commercial. It's like, make that person want to spend those 30 seconds, not doing something else, but paying attention to yeah. what you're doing. Make and them stop, make them stop and look value at value to it. And that's when the person will remember like what you did. It's like, you know, it's like I can I I know that James has a lit kit because every third post he has is about his lit kit. But I don't I don't <laughs> even know what. So I mean, at least I, I look at it, and it's the same thing. It's it's fun. It's like yeah, it's serious, and we want to do this stuff, but it's fun. You know, BMX was was built on having fun, doing fun. It's we want to have a fun company. It's still a company. It's still a business. It's still a job. But if you make it so dang serious it's like that's when it becomes not fun and just like you're saying just like 
if you're not competitive, it's not fun. You know, I mean, those things tie into each other too. Like not, not having fun and make, if you can't laugh at yourself on some stuff, um, you shouldn't be doing it. I agree. I agree. Well, Pete, we got some, uh, we'll finish off with some, uh, quick shot questions for you. Do you know the quick hey. shot question segment? Yeah. And by the way, I wanted to apologize in advance. I know that you guys have, uh, a lot of downloads. I'm sorry to break your curve and probably give you the most, the least downloaded <laughs> show that you're going to do. Cause the, you know, fans, the fans can be fickle, but I actually, but <laughs> I, I be saw fickle. Couple, I, we should, we I need to use that as a, I, that's going to be one of our new drops. The fans, <laughs> the fans can a, be put fickle. That, put that on one of your, uh, your, your phone cases and I might buy it. Dude, <laughs> dude the phone cases are actually really good. Oh, if you get fans are fickle, I might do that. The fans are fickle. I like that one. I like that one. Um, but, but yeah, it was pretty funny because I saw a few of the questions that people posted and I was like, oh, I can't wait to... And and it's like you can equate to a little bit more now, Tori, from being on the opposite side of, of, uh, of, the, of the BMX Live crew. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I realized, honestly, since I started working with uh, working for BMX live with the races. It's like there's, or, uh, even seeing, uh, behind the stuff, a uh, scene stuff with the UCI, like there's so much that goes into it and the riders only see a small portion of it. And it's easy to complain from the outside, but it's like the BMX live TV or UCI, they're aware of problems that are going on and they're, it's not like they're not trying to fix things, but there's, there's yeah. always stuff that happens or problems that go on. Yeah. I think a lot it's of, like, a lot of times the riders make the mistake like, Oh, the UCI doesn't care. It's like, no, 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 no. They, they really do care. And they're really trying. There's just some stuff that happens or they, that, you know, like shit happens. It's like, there's, it's, it's the, the BMX industry and business and what all, all different aspects of it. You're basically a fireman, fire person. You are trying to put out, all you're doing is fixing mistakes. Honestly, yeah, fires or it's fixing, so true. You know what I mean? Like, and so you don't have the time and that's unfortunate, but you also, there's not the money. Like this is the business side of it. Like paying yeah. people to fly across the country to do a job. And it's like, if your job's supposed to do be this, but you have to do 10 other things to even get to that point, you understand why sometimes stuff doesn't work. My favorite thing is like when the, when the feed used to go out and people would be like, oh, I can't believe that the feed went, it's like, dude, do you really think that all these people spent all this money and they thought that the feed was going to go down? I know. It's at like the same, at the same time, like they're not doing everything in their powers to get it fixed. And the last part of it is like, how much did you pay to watch it? Nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you got what yeah. you paid for. Yeah. What do you want for free people? Like, <laughs> what do you think? It's like ESPN filming it here. Yeah. So, well, all right, hey, let's well, go with your quick shot. Let's let's go with this question first because I know this might not be a quick shot answer. But speaking of the BMX Live TV, Nigel Beatty says, "If you had the funds, so best is all the available funds you wanted, how would you make the BMX Live TV viewing experience more of an entertaining draw for a non BMX audience?" Oh, that's a good question. I think you know it's funny. Somebody John Sawyer gave me grief this whole last year, telling me how Tori stole my job. When he got when he when when he started doing interviews, but Tori, to be honest, Tori it's like, in the Tori, yeah, Tori in the pits. It was like Tori, Tori, Tori's more relatable. Tori's more the age of the average viewer of the racer, and Tori has some insight which people may not think I have, but that, and that, which I'm fine with. So like adding people like that that ha and Tori wanted to do it. Like it's not like I'm sure you're. 
bank accounts aren't lit on the fire from doing <laughs> doing BMX Live TV. But you come in, but you come in like, and it was funny because you learned this firsthand. You're like, we can do this and we can do this. It's like, no, we can't. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, we can't. Like, it's not going to happen. And I was the same way for forever. So when we need to do this, and it's like, you need more people. You need, you know, it's like the problem is, is the it, it, to restructure to structure a sport around a TV show is almost impossible because there's a 20 minute break between these rounds. Why don't you guys it's like, we can't do stuff because who are you going to interview between the semi and the main Tory? Maybe Sylvain, maybe Sylvain, but it's he impossible. Might be the one guy that doesn't care, Yeah. but you're not going to get, you, you're not going to get Connor. You're not going to get David Grant. You're not going to get anybody that you want. You know what I mean? Like, so you're not, so you're going to have to create stuff. So you need, you just need more people to do more things like something a wireless camera microphone that why can't you just walk around the pit you can't that's like let, let alone the amount of money it costs to rent or buy that stuff but that would be something i would add but the amount of money it costs to do that one feature it's like on top of everything else with the cost of the equipment you got to have another person just to do that and nobody thinks about that like when everyone said oh come you guys don't do replay do so you have to have a replay person one person their whole job is to go back edit replays to show them over so let's just say that guy makes three thousand dollars a weekend, and it costs a thousand dollars to get him there. It's like all of a sudden that one guy to do replays costs six or seven thousand dollars, and nobody takes that into consideration. And yeah, there's money in it, but like you see, it's a shoestring budget to get what we get now. So it would be great to have, honestly, to have a GoPro or a camera on every rider. It would be great to have it to where somehow. We can do, you know, it would be great. We try to do features before and add them in on the show. And it's like, sometimes you can do it. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes we're stuck with restrictions from what country their event's in or where it's being shown that you can't show logos for a certain amount of time. So there's a whole bunch of things where, honestly, if we could do it, it would be a created show for TV, which is what, like, those shows that are going on BMX Live now that are, like, just recaps of the race. But the actual race day ones would be more informative, more stuff, but it was like, there would just have to be more entertainment, more pieces in between each of those races um, to keep people excited while they have a 20 minute break. You know, it's like, how much can you listen to Rich and Jason talk about the same old things or answer tweets from people online? It's like, that's not really that entertaining. And it's entertaining to a point, but it gets difficult from doing it. Um, mm -hmm. So it would be to have more people have, you know, and have more technology to where we could do things that, that aren't being able to be done right now and at the same point putting more money because the riders put and this is 100 honest like the riders put their necks out to create all this stuff and then some of those guys don't make or girls don't make that much money um so it would be nice to put more money in and i've tried to find some sponsors to do that to do like oh and it's not like a revolutionary thing but like a whole shot award or the best move of the day award where it's like i watched um mma and it's like they have like some $50,000 award that they give for the best takedown or whatever it is. They have some weird thing. And I was trying to get more money to bring into it. So for one, it's, you know, it's better, but and I, you know, I also think more in the, and this is something where there's actual media training for some of the riders and they can also understand what the behind, what, what the goal of the show is and how important it is to have the riders interact and do a little bit more things, but it would be more of the putting money in for the technical technological side of it and making it more of a complete show than other just showing racing with some stuff filling in. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be cool if you if there was a way to be able to force riders and make it mandatory to do like a quick 
interview with a random rider before race or after race. Like if obviously, like you said, people aren't willing to do that. But if we're yeah. in a case where you could force the riders to have to give that quick interview, be like, how are you feeling going up to the gate? What are you, what are you expecting this race? Like if that was an option, I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's tough. Again, it's tough when you go to it. If a world cup's an Olympic qualifier and you're sticking a microphone in somebody's face, it's like, are you impeding on their ability to do the job? the best exactly, that they can. Yeah. Yeah. And, but unfortunately the job is as far as when you want to make money, you know I mean? It's like Maris was a perfect example. Maris just went out and raced and did everything and didn't care about anything else. I, I I'll call Maris out too. I tried to inter- to do one of these interviews for him on the BMX live thing. And he said he didn't care because he had no reason to do it, <laughs> which is, tr- which is a hundred percent honest. He's like, yeah, I don't feel like doing it. He's like, I don't, I don't pay attention anymore. It's like, okay, cool. But uh-huh. it's like, you know, so, it's like you have to, cause like for us, I know there's certain riders that when we want to interview that I know there's a point in the day where I can't ask them another question because they're it's, it's basically whether it's in their head or whatever, they're just, they think it's going to be impeding on them. And I've actually had, you know, there's, there's coaches and, and, and physios from the teams that will tell me, Oh, you can't come and talk to so-and-so. And I'm like, you know, sometimes like, are you serious? And then the other point, like you look at it from a different perspective and go, yeah, you're right. You know, like, let that person get ready, but, but also like a lot of also like if, if some riders aren't willing to do kind of extra stuff for TV or whatever there, you also can't really complain then about it because it's kind well, of a two way, you, you know, being a writer, I understand, obviously you don't want to do an interview right before I completely get it. But if you, if you don't, if the riders aren't willing to participate in that kind of stuff, then does the show is going to be kind of crap too then. Like the way I, the, what I do for that, for that highlight show that's made, it's like we interview people on Thursday or, or Friday yeah. morning or whatever. So yeah. it's not even before practice starts and you'll get people that are like Mariana comes five minutes early and she's ready and she's always there and she never has a problem. You have people that you wouldn't expect and they're like, Oh, I don't want to really do another interview. And you're like, it's ridiculous. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess you have enough sponsors and you don't need, and you don't need any more money. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> every pro you, sport. You, has and, it's, and it's always those people that have been in town for a week too. And it's like, you got, again, you guys do nothing but drink coffee. And I don't know what else you do when, on between the, before the race starts, but it's like, I think you can find, you know, the 20 minutes to do it. And it's, Again, I think it's some of those people, and it's like some of the good people, and they're like, "Well, I don't need to do it because I'm good." And it's like, okay, well, you don't need to get paid. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter that you're good. You know, there's a lot of good people that don't. There's a lot of people that are really good at certain things but don't get paid to do it. So, okay. It's like I view that as like a free opportunity to give the brand you represent exposure. No to kidding. Self look good. It's like even yeah. you not. And, no kidding. And even as an athlete, think of it like, like Tori, you're lucky you continuing on as an ambassador for Answer, but. Think about it as an athlete. Like, if you have, like, you promote the number one thing you need to do is promote yourself and then tie along your sponsors with it as yep. a pro athlete. Yep. So, mm-hmm. any opportunity you turn down to promote yourself, to link it, and, and even having the ability to show company X next week, like, hey, I did this and this and this, to be able to bring them a resume of things you've done versus, like, well, I didn't want to do it because it's like, well, you don't have anything to offer people. Like, again, that's another avenue for. An athlete, again, it's, it's, some guys look at it. You have some people that are super old school European riders that are like, no, I need to be Rocky Balboa and locked in and chasing chickens. I don't have time to talk to people. And and you have other people that are on the, that are on the gate, smiling, laughing, making faces. And it's like the people who are those, I'm locked in a closet, usually are the ones that do terrible a lot of times. 
So I don't know, but you know, that's not me. Um, good discussion, boys. Next quick shot. Um, at Ren and BMX, which pro rider does Pete blame for starting the nothing a month movement? Oh, Donnie Robinson, Donnie Robinson and Jason Rogers. Seriously. They, they were the ones that went, I'll give you a prime example. And Donnie can bite me about this one. Bombshell was paying McPherson and Wade boots, 500 or a thousand dollars a month to run for when they had even even it wasn't the company that it is now but they had even worse forks back then so you would get a new fork every other race basically they were paying and donnie said why would you pay why would you pay that guy 500 bucks i'll do it for 250 thinking like oh this is a smart move for me well they still paid mcpherson and boots 500 bucks a month and then they paid donnie half and he thought it was great and all he did was undercut himself so Think about it as if you go to a, you could, you know, a, well, that, that's the short answer of it. But yeah, Donnie Robinson, 100%. <laughs> and he was the first one to complain about not making money from sponsors. So. Hmm. Oh, sorry, sorry. You got, I'm just going to open up the thing right now. I was being a little bit slow. All right, I got it. Um, uh, okay. Augie BMX MTB, worst company and or rider you have worked with? That's not very nice. I know, <laughs> but I like I like the question. <laughs> uh, Connor and Chase. Okay, next question. <laughs> I'm trying to like it's really like so. To be honest, to you guys, in the very beginning, I was super selective on who I worked with. I didn't work with. There was one big today, and I'm going to be respectful to them. That I was like, there's no way this stuff is garbage. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And they turned it around. But they spent a lot of money in the beginning sponsoring guys that they shouldn't have, and they figured it out. But I didn't. I, that was one thing. That was one thing that uh, that I didn't. I I it's like that. There was a, there was a coming. I don't want to say who it was. Rider wise, I mean, Warwick Stevenson was a nightmare to work with. Steve, I know everybody loves Stephen Caesar, but he was a nightmare to work with. Um, and that was about it. Because I was the same. I was the same with that. I was really. So I had. I had turned down somebody that my big, I, I'm sure I don't know if it's going to come, but I had turned down somebody like, I don't know who that was. It was Kyle Bennett and it was before he was Kyle Bennett. And I wound up working with Kyle after he was pro, but like he was, his, somebody came up to me like, you need to work with him. I was like, no way. There's no way. Cause he didn't do anything. He hadn't done anything. But yeah, there was a few guys that just were basically like, where's my money? And I was like, that wasn't how, that wasn't how the relationship started. And then it turned into that. And then, uh, I think both of those deadbeats still owe me some money. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, from Max Ganikovsky, what was the funniest sponsorship request someone has sent you? Oh, it's always when it's like the kid's seven years old and he's going to be in the Olympics and he only needs forty thousand dollars. Like, there's so many of those scenarios where they, <laughs> they only they need all, forty like, grand. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and or you know, it's like, and I mean, you get those, you get the ones where you can just see it's a big copy and paste. I just think they're all they're all funny because it's like there's like it's a mom or dad running a seven-year-old intermediate Instagram account thinking that that's the way to get sponsors. And it's like, no, no, it's not the way to get sponsors. Um, <laughs> this one's from me. Who's your, uh, who are your favorite writers to watch? Writer or writers to watch? Present day? Yeah, they just like watching or whatever. I mean, it's, that's, it's, it's more biased. I, would, I, I mean, I like, I like watching Mariana ride. I know she's been injured and she's coming back from it, but I like just how how good she wrote i like i like watching i think connor rides really good i don't want to be super 
something good because sometimes he comes from the back. I like uh, Corbin. I like the way Corbin rides because he rides so effortlessly. Yeah, I like watching yeah. people that ride over their heads. I mean, I like <laughs> I'm, I'm. It comes to it like I've been going to races for so long that it's like some things I like to look at. The, like sometimes I'm like, oh, that guy's riding way over his head. You know, I mean, I guess that's bad. I'm not. I never wish ill on someone, but it's like you can just see. Um, you can just see things that make I don't know that make the time go by, <laughs> make things happen. You know, <laughs> that's a bad answer. Sorry. I think that's all we got. Uh, we got. Well, you got one more, James. I'm just yeah. This is one for me. I'm curious. So, uh, what are like who are three to five of the recent pros you were a, an agent for? I was an agent for right. At the, I'm trying to think at the end. It was like Randy Stumphauser. So I mean, a lot of people know him. Jamie Staff, mm-hmm. Wade Boots, Christoph, Thomas Allier. Uh, in the beginning, I I mean, I did. I worked with a you know a few a few other. I worked with Kyle Bennett. I worked with. I did work with Dale Holmes at the end. Even he was one of the biggest ten percent guys. Him and Greg Romero. I think I worked with both of them. And when they when they lost their rides, they were I was the first one they probably called. So <laughs> so it's pretty funny. But um, I actually worked with a couple of motocross guys. I worked with uh, Stefan Roncada when he was like back when it was one twenty five and he was one twenty five champion. And that was just because Christoph was friends with them. And it was like if you're fr- if you're French, you're friends with everybody that's French. So like how Thomas is great friends with uh with uh what's his name marvin muskin it's like mm-hmm. they're all like they're friends with the, the f1 guys just because they're french it's like it's so funny but, it seems like it so it's when, weird <laughs> they're like so all when, friends like, Christoph, when Christoph when came over he was like he introduced me to thomas and then when when stefan was riding for kawasaki pro circuit he was like oh this guy can help you where i had no i love motocross but i didn't know anybody but i got him a couple of deals but he was like, there was another guy that was a nightmare to work with because he turned down a nine hundred a nine hundred thousand dollar offer from Kawasaki because it wasn't enough and he wanted a million. God, I want to punch. I want to punch him in the sack right now. <laughs> and he wound up getting he wound up getting blown out and ride for a company for like four hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's so, karma. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> but huh. it was funny. I saw one question. I thought it was going to be on the hot, on your one take. That guy asked me if I in, if I purposely mispronounced people's names in the World Cup. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask and, you that. Uh, <laughs> I don't, do I don't, I, dude, I don't mind at all because I think you have a good, you have a little bit more perspective. But before, remember, I was used to be the only one doing commentating by myself. That'd be really hard. And the very first event I did was, the very first event I did was Copenhagen in 2009. And this, I'm going to tell you how I started with BMX Live was they said, oh, we're going to have a production meeting and you're going to, we're going to tell you what to do. Cause I got the job after going to Beijing and helping NBC Sports do some stuff. And they just said, oh, you'll be good to work with us. And, I was at the first World Cup. I was like, okay, you're the live commentator. Okay, what am I going to do? We'll tell you. Dude, I had a stack of papers of every single rider that was signed up the week before the race, did research, knew, didn't know anything about anybody. I mean, not anybody. But like, you know, 70% of the people in 2009 were brand new because it's like Olympics were over. This guy's out. This, so now the next great hope's coming. And I, we had time trials. And I was like, time trials? I could have a little bit to look at the paper, but anyway, the, the meeting never happened. And they just said, okay, you're in this trailer by yourself, uh, 500 yards away from the track. You're going to look at a monitor and you're going to talk about what you see on the monitor. And I was like, huh? Like no clue what I was doing. Not that I got much better, but, but half of the people I had never heard of. So I made a lot of mistakes, but then it was like, I, I went and made an attempt to go ask riders how they say their name. And most of the time people would tell me, I would say it 
and people are like, that's not how to say it. Or I would say that it was funny and I was just like, oh, it just stuck with me like that. And I was rude and, 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 and inconsiderate and would say people's names wrong. And I remember like Nagasaki, I used to say, not going to make it, so nobody needs <laughs> to know what his name is. And, you know, he showed me. But yeah, it was, it was tough because you, when you do live racing, you have so little time. You're watching, you're watching on a monitor where you can't see anything because everyone that says how bad the races were used to be filmed. Imagine trying to call a race by looking at a monitor only and trying to figure out who's who when you have seven dudes from the Netherlands with the exact same uniform and bike and helmet. So, but I mean, David Graff gave me shit because I said he was from Sweden and not Switzerland. And it's like, dude, I'm sorry I didn't take natural flag history when I was going to high school to learn all the different flags. I made a mistake while you were racing. But it's like, you make a mistake every time you get on the gate, David. So let's not talk shit about me. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Uh, that's all we got for but you. No, I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it, was t- it was tough. And it was like, I loved having people help me. And it was like, I always felt bad because like, I'd have you young guys come on and you knew, and it's, it's crazy because I don't know if the older pros didn't care about everybody else, but I think you guys know Sylvane and Connor and I think you, Tori, you know everything about everyone. And I'm like, like how do you, and if you're a competitor, and it's like back in the day, those guys didn't even know who they were on the gate with sometimes. So it's yeah. like, it's so crazy to see that. That's when I was like, all right, somebody else needs to do this. I love doing it, but somebody else needs to do it that can do a better job. And I... I know Rich Eames loves it, and it's great that he's part of it. Jason's always good. But I'm like, I remember like we had Samantha Cool doing it. She just needed more of practice, but she was good, insightful on a bunch of uh-huh. things at the time that she was helping. Like we had a lot of good people help throughout the throughout the way. But I used to do five. I mean, you remember it was two rounds of of awfully boring time trial racing. I know you were good time trial. You bite your tongue about time trials. <laughs> they are a dying art. <laughs> 200 people and there's like 10 people good at time trials of that care. You see people didn't even try. They didn't even care. But it was like you had to announce something. For, I used to do like six hours of a show and I was like by myself. And it was like if I made a few mistakes, I was my worst critic. critic. But it was like I just remember people giving me shit. And it was like you can do it. Go ahead. You do it. Let me you sit in here and do it. But, you know, I also I and it's like just I guess that's a cut. The cat calling the kettle black because I'm saying or pot, whatever that expression is, but like saying people are bad at racers, but I was never good, but I also don't pretend to be a professional racer. So. Yeah. Everybody likes to hate on something. Yeah. What's, I mean, without that, what else would you do all day? Exactly. Especially now. Well, thanks a lot, Pete. <laughs> thanks a lot, Pete, for coming on. You've been on our list for a long time. We're glad we could finally catch up with you. Well, I appreciate it. I finally made it. And it was like, it was funny because I forget who it was. Somebody posted like, "Yeah, you fi- like finally made it." Yeah, Mike J. He's like, because I put it in the caption, "Industry mogul," and he's like, "Industry mogul, Pete, you made it." <laughs> yeah. Well, you put you put big figure, and I instantly text you asking me if you called me fat because that's basically like saying a full figured woman. So. Isn't like uh, <laughs> I mean, the cor- my own personal quarantine challenge has given me an extra five pounds, but I'm working on that. But I mean, come on now, <laughs> not a physical big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pete. We uh, I miss, well, I, I, miss you, I miss yeah, I, I miss our little breakfast at the World Cups together. Yeah, we'll 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 hopefully that's a whole that whole other story. I don't know what's gonna. I don't, yeah, so yeah, it'll be nice to get back to the to the to the to the old normal. I know it really will be. Sure. I miss going to the races. I miss BMX right now. I've right. used. I it's funny because Connor told me I was salty when I like we were in Houston recently, and I was just like, like you're so salty. He's like. 
He's like, this thing's so good for you. You're going to be so excited to go back to races. <laughs> but no, yeah, it, it is. It is. It is. It would be much nicer to be at races. And like this weekend, I just realized, like, oh man, Manchester was supposed to be. I weekend. know. I got a, kind of bummed about it. I got. So, I got a reminder in my phone that Manchester World Cup was the day. Uh, the next day. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was why we tried to do all that stuff on BMX Live was to interview all these people. We were going to do a live show on the Saturday of Manchester, but the logistics sides of trying to get whoever, all the eight people we wanted to interview was never going to work because of time zones and different things. So we were like, we'll just, that's why we just started doing those interviews and posting them up on the YouTube page. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's like, we want, I wanted to try to do something cool and, you know, to promote riders when there's no time to promote, you know, try, again, to try to do our part to help the riders also to help the sponsors and help the industry and do all stuff and also give people something to do. Cause it's like, how many times can you watch, you know, uh, you, you can watch the same transit seven video. I don't even know what number of transit went up to, but or like the other stuff that's online. So shout out to all the people creating stuff and making it fun while everybody's locked in. Yeah. So thanks thank Pete. You. I'm doing my best, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Pete. Take care, buddy. Hope, sure. right. hope, Pete. Hopefully thank we you. see you soon. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys. See you, buddy. It. Take care. All right. See you later. Bye. Pete fucking Delusky. Pete D everybody. Wow, that had a lot of information to share. I like Pete D. I, I we we have a lot of fun. Like we've had a lot of uh, good conversations, like industry conversations on, uh, like when we've flown together. I think on the way to Argentina a few years ago, we sat beside each other on the last flight of that leg, and mm-hmm. chatted about it. Then like every, I feel like every World Cup we end up having breakfast together and um, chatting this kind of stuff. It's interesting. I think it really is, and I love that he's honest about it. Like he says it how it is, and sometimes it doesn't make like people happy it might hurt some people's feelings even but it's honest and it's the truth yeah he's got a good grasp on the industry he's seen it all mm-hmm. and he's in, seems like it yeah yeah and he's involved in so many different avenues he probably can have a really um kind of broad outside uh perspective you know like kind of oversee everything mm-hmm. yeah totally i could agree with that <laughs> riders yeah. what do you mean you can't pay me 40 grand <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I wish you could have called some of the names. Oh, I would have loved to know who the rider in Australia was. We should guess. Can you imagine? No, I'm not going to guess. Just roast somebody. Just that guy. Dude, like, yeah. Like, that would be so awkward. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's not the way to go about it, people. No, exactly. And it's really not. Listen to one of our episodes. We talked about this. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's really yeah. it's really not. Um, I thought I thought his, uh, his take on companies that are maybe smaller – like this might kind of brush them off and like the ones that are the main companies of the sport and might make them bigger. I thought that was an interesting look on that. Yeah. And it, I mean, that goes for pretty much every industry right now that's hurting with, uh, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. Like it's the small businesses yeah, that are affected it, the most. Exactly. The bigger ones are going to survive and the smaller ones are going to really struggle. It's sad, but that's yeah. what's going to happen. It's, but it's not even just BMX. It's, I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah, no, it is. You're right. Look at like Starbucks is going to survive, but the neighborhood uh, coffee spot may not. Same. Not, no, no, you bite your tongue. My neighborhood coffee spot is going to survive because I'm going to buy, I'm buying so many beans lately. <laughs> Dude, my neighborhood coffee spot, Sea Market Coffee. Anyone listening to Coquitlam right now, Sea Market Coffee is legit. They're my local spot for brunch and coffee. So after golf today, all you do, like you text them your order and they, uh, you can't go in there. So you can't go inside. So you text them your order and what time you want it ready. And then you just go there and they bring it out and there's this little pickup table outside. So they just bring it out to you and you just go and grab it and there you go. It's fantastic. It's That's so smart. fucking awesome. You just text them and tell them when. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, bloody beautiful. Yeah. You got to support local yeah. business. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, anything else before we uh, wrap this up? No. How's your quarantine been? I know. Same shit, really. Same Same shit. shit, Different day. I miss going to the gym. I'm getting really skinny. Uh, I would offer you to let you come use my equipment, but that's over here. And yeah. Yeah. Quarantine. I'm getting really skinny though. I'm doing my best. Like I got a little dumbbell and med ball and whatever. I'm doing what I can. I've been working out three, four times a week probably, but it's just, you can only do so much. <laughs> you should start carrying your golf bag. <laughs> I've like, I, I need to start getting really creative. I haven't actually lifted something of like decent weight, like lower body wise in a while. Yeah. I'm pretty skinny, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For someone like ourselves and yourself who's used to doing that kind of lifting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like I don't, body. I don't really care cause I don't really lift heavy anymore at all. Like, but I don't mind doing some like deadlift and I don't know, split squat and that kind of thing with, like not heavy, but decent amount of weight, but I can't do any of that right now, obviously. Yeah. Too bad. I hate split squats. My ass is on fire from doing them. I know, but I do those cause I don't want to do squat and put more weight on my back. My back's seen enough heavy weight in its life. That's a good point. Good, good point. Only 28. I don't want to put more stress on my back than it has to with all those Especially years of heavy ass weights and plyos and whatnot. It's that's good enough for me. Just absolutely digging the back's curling but you're digging to get that bar yeah. Those days, yeah like especially with ph we didn't chill in the gym <laughs> we did <all> the- <laughs> you went in <laughs> we didn't we definitely didn't chill in the gym and stuff we fucking did it so i don't know my body's seen enough uh back stress in that time i don't need to stress it now in retirement nope none of that please no um so we got our guest the next two weeks we got stephanie hernandez next week and we got vincent pahona i mean pelawar the week after so that'll be good is it pahone is it pahone <laughs> <laughs> fucking kidding. awesome just vincent pahone <laughs> hey equal pay anybody can switch otherwise to hey, it's, it's Vinny p regardless yeah it's Vinny p um yeah those will be interesting shows two people very worldwide that'll that'll be good. interesting all yeah. right what a show all right we'll see uh we'll see you next week people thanks for listening oh pro thanks, gate europe everybody. winning starts at the great gate Vinny p has the best gate in bmx <laughs> Let me tell you, Vinny, Vincent Pellewart has the best gate in BMX. Vinny, if you're listening to this, you're getting a lot of exposure right now. Just Vinny. You know what? I, I, <laughs> I'm saving this for his podcast, but like that, that guy does not get enough, uh, applause or like, uh, I don't know what the word is. doesn't get enough compliments for his gate, but dude, that guy can start. If somebody wants to make a YouTube video for entertainment, break down his start. Break dude, down it his is, gate form. he creates so much speed in his movement. It's crazy. God, it's insane. It's one, two, three. I know. It's so fast. Like people look up Vincent Pellewar's gate. If you want to see, if you want to see a kink killer, a kink killer with a dinner plate as a gearing. Oh yeah. That guy has got some torque. Yeah. It's insane. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Later people. Stay safe. Yeah, well, what's this friggin' podcast all about? I don't get it, man. Coffee chatter? I hate that guy. (laughs) 